All right, I'm excited to get to bring the Word of God to you this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, uh, I actually had some plans this week, but through our bucket group, our small group, which was so good on Wednesday night, uh, they, those guys are just hungry. They're longing to know the Word of God, to fellowship with one another, to seek one another, and uh, to seek Christ above all. And through that study, the Lord just, man, He pricked my heart, He stirred my heart, and, and uh, I'm actually preaching out of the same text that we looked at this, this past Wednesday night in our small group. If we can just bring these lights up over here. Uh, that way they can see their Bibles and their own nose. <laughs> I'm excited to worship with you this morning. I'm excited to get in the world. There we go. Hey, how y'all doing? There's people out there. I'm excited to get into the Word with you this morning. The Lord has really just moved my heart and stirred my heart this week. And I've been so excited. If uh, I could get Robert, maybe you could help me out. Randy, you could help me out. I've got some notes here uh, that go a lot more in-depth than what will be on the screens. If you would like to have one of those, shoot your hand up in the air. They'll bring you a set of these notes. Uh, if, you, if we don't have enough, looks like we'll have enough, though, but um, you can kind of follow along as I go. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited about some things that's coming up. Uh, talking about giving, the Lord's just pressed on my heart that we need to be ready to give. We need to invest into the kingdom of God. And if I seem passionate about it this morning, if I seem worked up about it this morning, it's because I see the vision that God has placed inside of me along with the elders and the pastors and the leaders of this church. And everybody's excited to move forward. We've got a lot of stuff coming uh, up on our, 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 the three big things that we've got coming up. Uh, we've got several uh, events, but I'm talking about the three big ministries that's coming up. We're going to start a children's ministry on Wednesday nights, so we're really excited about this. Need some more volunteers for this. We've got everything in the works. We're going to sit down and we're going to plan all and map all of this stuff out. We've never been able to do that because we didn't have a facility. We didn't have the means to do it, but now we finally do, so we want to offer uh, children's church on Wednesday night. So if you're interested in that, please come and see me or my wife Heather or Hambone or Deb or somebody and say, I would love to do that. If you're not in a bucket group, if you're not in any way, this might be a good way for you to get plugged in midweek so that you can be used by God. Another thing that's coming up is the evangelism ministry that we've been talking about, the advanced strategic warfare. We're going to infiltrate the communities all around us in order to reach the people where they are. How many of you know somebody that you would love to share the gospel with or see them plugged into a group of believers, but they just won't come to church. Anybody know somebody like that? I know some people like that. Well, if we can go into their communities, if we can go into where they are, and we can set up church, so to speak, where they are, we're even going to have a little bit of worship, and then we're going to take the church on wheels to each community at different times during the month, one time a month to each community, and do a worship service for them there. Wouldn't that be awesome? So we're taking the church to them. If they won't come to church, we're going to take the church to them. Praise God. Doesn't that sound exciting? Well, there's some things that we need to take care of, and so we need for you to invest. I need to invest so that we can see that vision come to fruition, right? And then the last thing I want to tell you about is these classes that we want to do. I've talked to you about going deeper in the Word of God, financial classes, marital classes, uh, books of the Bible, so a class maybe on, say, John or uh, Revelation, whatever that might be, a, a book of the Bible. 
And then I would like to do a class that just goes deeper, period. If you want to know the, the deeper truths of the Lord, and we don't have time in here. I have 45 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes 25 if you take last week. Hey, were you proud of me? Last week it was like Mark said I took off and then I landed that sucker. So, uh, you know, I can do it. Don't hold it against me if I don't ever again, all right? So, but we need to go deeper, and we can't do that on Sunday mornings. I can only go so fast and so far, and everybody's like, slow down, right? So we want to go deeper. Well, all of that, we've got to get materials. We've got to get supplies. We've got to get the curriculum for those classes. We've got to do a lot of stuff. We need some, a basic need. We need a storage building because we don't have any storage in the, in the church, so we need a storage building. That's not that big of a deal, you'd think, but, you know, we, we do with what we've got. And so just think about those things. Uh, one other thing that you can help us with, even tonight, we've got these turkeys, and we're going to do it. You know, it doesn't matter. We've already got the turkeys on the way we're gonna go pick them up today 150 of them well those turkeys are a little bit more than $15 a piece they're $17.79 a piece I think well if we're asking you we know you've brought the bags we know you've been generous we got a sign-up sheet out here today just like we did these chairs in here if you look around at these chairs you bought these chairs and so that took the burden of the cost off of the church and so we're asking you to do the same thing with the turkeys I'm going to buy some myself. I'm asking you, will you buy a turkey or two? A turkey or two, right? Those bags out there, when we filled ours up, they cost about $9. So if you did a bag and if you do a turkey, then you're looking at about $34. Am I doing my math right? No, $24, see? $24 is what you're going to... That's less than $25 to bless a family for a meal on Thanksgiving, and you provide that for them. Now, how many of us in this room can, can afford $25? Bucks? Now, that $25 bucks will take the burden off of the church. So we're going to spend about $2,700 on turkeys, just turkeys. But if you will step up and say, well, I'll, I'll give you $15 for a turkey so a family can have a turkey, then that keeps that money in the church account so that we can spend it on other ministries and we'll just spread the cost out among you. I'm going to do that. I'm asking that if you would pray about doing it too. When we go out of here, you can see uh, Robert or somebody's got somebody set up out here with a sheet. You can tell them how many turkeys you want. You can pay for them today or you can just sign your name and you can pay for them next week if you didn't come prepared today. Uh, this ministry is our ministry, and we fund it together, okay? So we pour into it, and God's using it as we go out, right? He promised us if we would invest and if we give, he would not let us down. He would take and he would use them. He would bless and he would reach. And so those are some things that are coming up. And that's why I want you to know that there are needs here at the church. It may look like everything's fine and, and everything is fine. God's going to do what God's going to do. But it would really help us to move forward in what God's calling us to do if you would let go of a little bit more of your money. Okay? I'm just going to be as straightforward as I can. I need you to give more. Right? I need to give more. Because we've got big plans, and God's got big plans. So give as much as the Lord would allow you to give. Okay, just pray about it. That's between you and God. All right, now let's get into the Word of God. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through about 25, but we're going to cover some of these in some pretty big leaps because what we find here is two stories, uh, not really stories, but two kind of snapshots in history and Jesus's ministry, how he's interacting with the apostle Peter. Now, if any of you know anything about Peter, you'll know that Peter, he is a weird guy. Like he is hot one minute and just, just ice cold the next minute. One minute he's doing amazing things, walking on water. The next minute he's sitting by a fire denying and he even knows Jesus Christ because some little servant girl said, 
I think you were the one. And he's like, no, girl. You know, he's scared to death of a little bitty servant girl, right? So, so P- Peter continually throughout his ministry and throughout the ministry and the life of Christ, until Jesus Christ dies, goes into the grave, and rises again, Peter is just like this wild man going from great faith to no faith, great faith to no faith. Well, I want to show you today, I wonder how many of you, you've been on fire in your walk for God. You've been walking in, in the Spirit. You've been living in the Spirit. And boy, anybody come up to you, you, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You at the restaurant, you're embarrassing your wife, right? You at the, you at the school, you're embarrassing your kids. Let me tell you about Jesus. And your kids are like, Dad, no. You know, Heather, I've seen Heather do this many times because Hambone, I don't care where you are, when you are, who you are, he's going to do this. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> and every time Heather's like, can't we just eat one time? So, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So we call to come out of our comfort zone. But how many of you have been in that place? You're on fire for the Lord. You're ready to go. You're excited. And then all of a sudden, a week later, you're like, I want to die. <laughs> right? Don't we do that? We're like, bam! You know, just all the pieces. Rubble everywhere. Explosion. Woe is me. Life is terrible. But nothing even really changed. Right? I mean, your perspective, that's it. I mean, every, I mean, you know, now some of us have hit some really hard times. There has been some really tough things, but Christ still didn't change. Even in the worst of the worst of the worst, our base, our core, the most foundational piece of the universe, of all reality, never changes. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change. His faithfulness to you does not change. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. He is faithful even in our trials and our struggles. As a matter of fact, he's more present in our trials and in our struggles. He shows himself, or actually we can see him better because all of the other things are burned away, and we can see Jesus better. I want to show you this morning, as we look at this glimpse into Peter's life, of some truths about this type of great revelatory faith that'll just move mountains and then these great falls that we have into the trenches and i want to tell you how you can avoid some of those pitfalls in your faith now that's not to say that hard times won't come in life but i'm saying that even when those hard times come that you can still stand up straight and that you can still hold your head high not because you're somebody but because jesus christ is god amen you don't have to fall into the pit and stay in the pit. Jesus Christ is the one who holds you together. He holds all things together by the word of his mouth. Amen? So Jesus Christ is the one who has done what needed to be done to hold us together, even in the midst of a trial, and shine his light through us in the midst of that trial. Okay? So I want to show you today. Now, how does this tie in with the gifts? Because I've been talking about gifts now for several weeks, and we've got a couple more weeks on gifts. Okay? I've got to show you well, actually, Hambone's going to help me because the best pastor that we have in the church is Hambone Camp. Now, when I say pastor, I mean shepherding, pastoring the flock. That's not my greatest gift. I'm a preacher, teacher, more of a leader type guy, more of a kingly gift is my gift. So, I, you know, I, I, I tell the men, let's go. And Hambone's like, hold on, he's got a broke leg. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, come on, hurry up, mend it, let's go. So Hambone's always slowing me down. We're good for each other like that. So I'm like, come on, Hambone, we got to go. He's like, would you calm down? He's got a broke leg, you know. So 
Hambone's the best pastor that we've got, and so I want to get him up here uh, either next week or next week, and I want him to share with you some 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 secrets, some the word of how he does that, how the Lord leads him to pastor and to love people like he does. Because I'll go ahead and tell you right now, if it wasn't for the love of God in Hambone Camp, I would not be here today. I promise you that. I promise you that it would not happen. Praise God for him. Praise God for him. It's okay. Give him a hand clap because God is really using that man. Now, he'll be like, oh, oh, and he should because God gets all the glory, but Hamon can't really love the Lord. So, And then we're going to look at the gift of teaching and some other things like that. And so, But how this applies to the spiritual gift today is that a lot of the times when you're operating within your spiritual gift, your spiritual gift is made null and void because of your lack of faith and your lack of fire and your lack of passion. So you may be a great evangelist. You may be a great person of faith. You may be a great uh, steward of God's gifts. You may be a great uh, administrator or a helper or a service or an encourager or whatever. But when this trial comes and it smacks you in the face, you just lay down and you stop doing that which God has called you to do. And so what I want to tell you is, is that you need to continue to operate within your gifting even when times get tough because your gifting will be multiplied in power as the times get tough because in our weakness he is made in our weakness his strength is made perfect if you want to see god move then you continue in your ministry and in your life even when it gets hard you trudge on you just continue to go because what happens is is that people look at you in the good times and they say just like job satan looked at job and he said he's only praising you because he's got his family he's got it going on right well god's like take it away Let's see. So he's afflicted, but Job stayed pure. He continued. So when it was all done, when the dust settled, everybody knew that Job was a man of God. It was harder to tell when everything went well. It was harder for his gift to be as effective when everything was going well. What would have happened if he had laid down in the midst of it? You know, Job's wife looked at him and says, curse God and die. And I'll add fool. (laughs) But he didn't. He stayed true. He stayed true. And at the end of it, in chapter 43, it said, and all, it said, in all these things, Job did not sin. And he was vindicated, meaning that his righteousness stood and his faith in God prevailed over all, and he was proven to be true. And he received back a hundredfold anything that he had ever lost. Stay true in the midst of the fire, and your ministry will multiply. Amen? Stay true in the midst of the fire, and your ministry will multiply. All right, now let's get into the sermon. <laughs> let's stand as we read the Word of God. <coughs> We're in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read 13 through 25. <coughs> I want you to pay attention. Say, I hear you, Brennan. Now, come on, say, I hear you, Brennan. All right, let's listen to the Word of God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, listen to this. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do they say I am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Let me ask you, Abriel, I'll ask you. I'll ask you. I'll ask my wife. I'll ask you. I'll ask myself. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? He looked them dead in the eye. He said, Who does everybody say that I am? They said, Well, they say this, 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 and this. Who do you say that I am? Let's stop worrying about everybody else in the church. What are you doing for God? 
Let's stop worrying about what everybody, what everything else is going on. Who do you say that he is? What's your walk like? What's your faith like? What's your ministry like? What's your passion like? Stop tearing other people down. Stop wondering about them. Stop questioning them. You question yourself. What's your ministry look like? We get a long way. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh. Now listen, this is going to be huge. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This did not come from the lips of man, but it came straight from God who is in heaven. Is your faith conjured up, or is it, is it bought off by some guy that has convinced you to believe, or has it come straight from God Almighty? Have you been convinced by Jesus Christ, by God the Father, that Jesus Christ is Christ, the Son of the living God? Or have you been convinced that this is what you're just supposed to do? He says that flesh and blood didn't reveal it, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now listen to this. Now he just called him the rock on, on which he would build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will have the keys, meaning the authority, to bind anything on earth, and it will be bound in heaven. So he's got, he's got great faith and unity, loyalty, and power. Power, okay? He is called the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, check this out. From the time Jesus began to show, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So from then on, he started teaching how hard it was going to be. Then, listen to this, and Peter took him aside, took God Almighty to the side and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, I counted it up from rock to Satan in 4.3 verses. Rock to Satan in 4.3 verses. That's like, bam, you know, rock to Satan. He says to him, he says, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's going to be hugely important. Last two verses, stay with me. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, listen to that, if anyone, if any one of you, I'll say it like this, if any one of you would come after Christ, what must he do? It's not a suggestion. It's not a wondering. It's not a maybe. It is what he must do. Do. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Listen to this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. I pray, God, that you would set it up in our heart as an amazing tower that we can run to and that we'll be safe. When the enemy comes against us and he lies and he, and he shows us things that are not true, God, and when he whispers in our ear and when he tempts us that we would run to the tower, God, we would run to the tower of the word, we would run to the tower of God, and we would be safe and we would say, you're a liar, you are a fool, you are a thief. And I ban you in the name of Jesus Christ, which is what we do now. Take this word and bring it and nail it and, and, and set it in our hearts. May it be alive, God, that it would live inside of us and that it would change us, mold us, and make us into the powerful men and women of God that we were intended to be. Let not these troubles overcome us, but let us say that we are children of God and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
All right, so we're looking here at Matthew chapter 16. I want to show you a few things here. Listen, my thesis or my intention beside, behind this, uh, this scripture, this sermon today, is I intend to show you that every great man, now listen to this, please. This is what I want to get across to you today. I intend to show you that every great man is only as great as his spiritual walk and submission to Jesus Christ. I don't care how gifted he is, how charismatic he is, how much money he has, how much money he doesn't have. It depends on how he walks with Christ and how submitted he is to Jesus Christ. Living in the Holy Spirit is the only way that one can please God. The moment we stop living in the Spirit and start walking in the flesh, we fall. We fall. If you want to be used by God, you must walk in the Spirit. You must set your mind on the things above and not on the things below. If you want to give like God is calling you to give, you've got to stop thinking about that power bill. You've got to stop thinking about all of those things that you've got coming up, and you've got to trust God. God said that there's nobody, there's nobody that's ever given anything to me that he hadn't received back a hundredfold. You think God won't take care of you? You say, I can't give that this week, Pastor. I can't give that because I've got this and because I've got this because well, you don't trust God. You don't trust God that he can provide those things for you? You don't trust you trust him with your soul, but you don't trust him with your pocketbook? I'm just telling you right now that we've got to walk by the Spirit. You say, I can't go into that neighborhood. I'm scared. I can't go and talk to that waitress. I'm scared. I can't go, but they're going to think bad of me. Well, who, you don't think God can take care of that? You see, we've got to continually walk in the Spirit. And even when things come against us, and even when trials come and temptation comes, we've got to walk in the Spirit, setting our mind on the things above rather than the things below, because that's the only thing that's going to carry us through. I promise you that there is nothing that will carry you through this life other than jesus christ psalm 73 says whom have i in heaven but you and earth has nothing i desire besides you my heart and my flesh they may fail but god you are the rock of my heart and my portion forever amen god is all that we need in this world cast everything else to the side if they need it take it it said they joyfully accepted the plunder of their property you need it take it Jesus says you get slapped on the cheek, turn them the other one. If they want to steal from you, give them your cloak too. If they ask you to go a mile, go too. Everybody's scared to live. Don't be scared to live. Jesus Christ lived, died, was beaten, died on the cross, buried in the grave, and he rose again. You don't think he can come back and help you? You don't think he can keep you through? You don't think he can raise you up? There is nothing that has overtaken man. Nothing. Nothing that Jesus Christ can't carry you through. Nothing. This world has nothing on you. So my prayer for this sermon is, is that I pray that through this sermon right here, I pray that through the preached word that you might submit yourself to Christ, whether for the first time or in a deeper way. I pray that your level of submission upon leaving this place will be greater than when you entered. There will be greater than your entering. I'm telling you right now, there is no person sitting in this room that this sermon shouldn't affect. If you've never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're sitting out there and you're overwhelmed by the world and you don't know how to overcome the world, Jesus Christ said, you can only overcome the world through me because I've overcome the world. You need Jesus Christ or you cannot live. He is life. Outside of him only exists death. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you are a walking dead man or woman. There is no other name given by which man can be saved except Jesus Christ. For those of you who already believe, I ask you this. Are you fully submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word? 
Are, those, are there people in here who claim to be Christians, but who read the Bible and who hear it say one thing, but they do another? Are you submitted to the Word of God? Is it your grand authority? Do you read the Bible and say, this contradicts how I live, I must change? I tell you, I come up with people all the time, and we get to talking, and they call themselves Christians, but they don't live according to the Word of God. Well, let me tell you what the Word of God says about that. It says that this is how you know that you have come to know me, if you obey my commandments, and my commandments are not burdensome. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. The one that says that he knows him but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If you do not live according to the Word of God, and you could care less. Now, we all fall, we all struggle, I get that. But if you're habitually going against the Word of God, and you don't care, and you don't feel repentant, you don't feel convicted, then stop calling yourself a Christian. Christians live by the Word of God, and when they fall, they are convicted by the Word of God, repent to the Word of God, and are changed and transformed by the Word of God. Do you submit to the Word of God? Otherwise, stop calling yourself a Christian. We must live according to the Spirit of the Lord. I want to show you this right here. I want to point out a few things right here. So my prayer is that you'll take another step. When you walk out of here today, I want you to examine your heart. Do you obey the Scriptures? Do you obey the Scriptures? If not, let's examine our hearts to see whether or not we be in the faith. So walk out of here in a greater place than you walked in here, Okay. So let's look at a few things in Peter's, in these couple of snapshots right here. Let's look at a few things that happened to Peter, some truths that we see here, and then let's examine where we are and what we need to do in our life, according to the Word of God, to be strong and faithful and loyal to the Lord at all times, okay? At all times. So first thing I want to show you is that Peter is called the rock. Peter is called the rock. Now, let me tell you something right now. Through faith, you are also a rock in Jesus Christ. Jesus says that we must build our house upon the rock, Jesus Christ. Any man who doesn't build his house upon the rock, the winds come against that house, the rains come, the floods rise, they pound against that house, and it's destroyed if it's not on the rock. But if it's on the rock, it's not destroyed. So we know that we, in our faith, are rocks as well. But what we see here is that Peter is called the rock. I want to show you what it says. It says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied to him, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The first thing it shows us is, is that Simon Peter, Peter's faith, it was, not a, it was not an intellectual faith. Now, I know that he understood Jesus Christ, and so we do use our intellect. God says, come and let us reason together, okay? I'm not telling you to check your brain at the door, because Jesus Christ is absolutely the best explanation of all of life. I would love to sit down and discuss worldviews with you one day, and I promise you that you can destroy any worldview that exists through the Christian worldview because it far better answers any philosophical, any metaphysical, any questions that you've got. The Christian worldview will answer better than any other worldview, hands down. I am not saying that it is not a reasoned faith. I believe you need a reasoned faith. But I'm telling you right now, in order to be transformed from the inside out, you need a revelatory faith. Does that word make sense to you? A revelatory faith is a faith that comes through revelation. It comes when God speaks into your heart, and God plants that seed, and God transforms that heart. He said it in Ezekiel. He said, I will take out your heart of stone, and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. 
It says, I will take out, I will place my spirit inside of you, and I will cause you to walk in my ways and obey my statutes. You see, we don't obey the word of God because we must. We obey the word of God because it's inside of us. It's who we are. And so we look at Simon Peter, we say he had a revelatory faith. He had a faith that was from God. What is your faith? Are you tossed and, and thrown around by the winds and by every little doctrine and by every little thing? Or is your faith solid on the, on the rock, Jesus Christ? But he had a faith, a faith that would move mountains. It goes on and it says, but my Father who is in heaven it, it has revealed this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says that, Peter, because of this great faith that you have that is from God and not from man, I am going to use you as a foundational piece of my church. He said, through his faith comes great and mighty things. He is a foundational piece of the, of, the, of the church. And on Peter and on this great faith is what God is going to use to build the church. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be used by God to build the church? Do you want to be a foundational piece of the kingdom of God? And when you stand before God, then you will see and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have taken what I have given you, and you have multiplied it, and you have invested it, and they have come in. You have reaped what other people sown. You have reaped the harvest, and we're bringing it in. Do you want to be used like that? I do. I'll tell you what, you know how I counsel a married couple that's having struggles? I look at the man, and I say, do you want to be a child, or do you want to be a warrior? Do you want to be a silly little boy or do you want to be a man of God? See, this is what God offers. This is what Christ offers. He doesn't offer little, you know, going to church every Sunday. Woohoo! No, he offers a transforming faith that takes you to an insignificant peace to a great man of God that Jesus Christ is using in every way. You want to be men of God? Women out here. Do you want to be women of God, able to withstand every storm that comes? You see, the world tells you one thing, and then it tells you another thing, it tells you another thing. I'm telling you that the Bible tells you that women of God can be great in the kingdom of God, used by God in magnificent ways. But we get so distracted on, he said, she said, and, and he's got this, I got out, and you know, I got we get so distracted on the things of this world that we give up what God has for us. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit and not on the things of this flesh. You see, he had a revelatory faith. He had a revelatory faith, but he was also loyal to the king. He was used as a rock in the building, a foundational piece of the church. It goes on to say this. It says, I will give you. It said, well, let me, don't skip that. It says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, Jesus Christ has set your path before you. You cannot fail. Let me say that again. You must not have heard it. Jesus Christ has, has paved the path for you. You cannot fail. Only, only a couple. Let me say that one more time. Jesus Christ has paved the path before you. You cannot fail. Amen. Amen. You see, this world cannot overtake you. It cannot overcome you. You've won. It's over. It's Jesus said from the cross, it is it's done. You don't have to worry. That's why we can give. That's why we can serve. That's why we can love without any borders or any barriers. Love hopes all things, right? Love, love always stays pure. Love is, love is this magnificent thing that never fails. How? How when we're, when we're so easily hurt? It's because even when you're hurt, you're not hurt because Jesus Christ is still God. Jesus Christ has still won the victory, and no one can take that from you.
They may take your life. They may take your money. They may take your family. They may take your pride. They may take your self-righteousness and all of your fame and all of your pleasures, but they cannot take your God. Jesus never fails. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then he goes on here to say, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm not going to go into all that, but basically he's saying, I'm going to give you power and authority. So we see here that, G that Peter is called the rock. He is given a revelatory faith. A founda he is foundational in the building of the church to overtake the gates of hell. And he's granted authority and power. So we see in this, we see faith, loyalty, and power. The Spirit of God. So he's walking in this faith that's been given to him by God. He's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's powerful in everything that he does. Don't you realize that when you walk into a restaurant, the ability and the potential for people not to go to hell just walked in that restaurant you don't understand that i don't understand that do you know when you walk into a classroom the potential for somebody not to go to hell just walked in the door you are a child of god and you carry that which is powerful unto salvation Romans chapter 116, we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who would believe. When you walk through the door, salvation just walked in. Woo! Man, y'all ain't getting excited about that. I don't know what you get excited about. I ain't even planning on saying that. That was God. God is in you to transform lives. Amen. That's good. Woo! Man, where am I at over here? <laughs> now, look here. What happens? We're so easily turned. One minute salvation walks in the room. Child of God here. You know Jesus? We walk out of the room. I'm Satan. Right? 4.3 verses. Listen to what it says. From, the from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must. The key word right there. See, Peter's like, I got you, Lord. You'll never die. I will fight to the death. And Jesus is like, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter's like, never. And Jesus is like, I'm God, and you keep going against what I'm saying. You are a dummy, you know what I'm saying? Like, how stupid would you have to be? God is standing before you saying, it's going to be A, and you're going, it's going to be B, Lord. No, you idiot. It's what God says. It's going to be what God says. It must be what God says. There is no other plan B. It's what God wants, when God wants it, how God wants it, every single time. And let me tell you something right now. If you walk within what God wants, you walk in power. Because it's already done. If you go to a situation, and that situation is done, and you stand, you get to be a part of the doing of that situation, even though he didn't need you because it was already done in the first place. But if you go somewhere else where he wasn't planning on doing it, it cannot happen. So in one sense, since God is sovereign, since he is going to do whatever he wants to do anyway, if you walk with him, it's done. The path is cleared. It's done. But if he's not going to do it, not only is it not done, but it can't be done. You understand? You walk with God, it's done. 
you walk outside of God, it can't be done. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how hard you make it try to happen. I don't care what you do. It can't be done. Romans 8 would say, we cannot please God without faith. We cannot. So here he is. He's got this massive faith. But he, he all of a sudden comes up against this teaching when Jesus is wanting to go right. He's wanting to go left. Check this out. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far, uh, I'm sorry, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter, here he is, great revelatory faith, the rock on which the church will be built. The gates of hell shall not prevail. He's going to do a great march in his revelatory faith. He's got authority. Everything that he binds on earth will be bound in heaven. Everything that he looses on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's got the power of God in him, right? As soon as Jesus starts teaching, it's going to get really difficult. I must, be, I must go to Jerusalem. I must be killed, and I must go into the ground, into the tomb, and I must rise again. As soon as it goes another way, a way that Peter didn't think it should go, Peter falls apart. He falls apart, and he's, he becomes a hindrance to Jesus. Peter looks at him and rebukes God. How many times have you rebuked God? You say, I've never rebuked God. I've never looked at God and said, no, I beg to differ. We've talked about this before. He said, does God speak? Does God speak? Raise your hand if you think God speaks. Doesn't he all the time? All the time. You find yourself just talking to God, right? Yeah, Lord, I don't know about that. Well, every time that the Lord calls you to do something and you don't do it, what are you saying? The Lord said, this is the way that you got to go. And you said, Lord, I rebuke you. No, we shall not go that way. What are you doing in that moment? You're playing God. Basically, what you're doing is you're standing over God, and you're saying, God, you're pretty pathetic. Because if I were God, I would do this so much better. If I were God, I wouldn't ask me to do that. If I were God, I would ask me to do this. So, God, I'm not going to listen to you because I'm a better God. I'm going to do what I decide to do. We don't think about it like that. We think about it as simple disobedience. We think about it as just, we'll get that next time. But if God says something and you are to go a certain direction and you don't do it, you're basically saying, I would make a better God. You said in the back, I'll drive. So Peter looks at Jesus and he says, may it never be. And he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what is it that took Peter from the rock, the foundational piece of the church who has power and authority, to Satan, the hindrance of Jesus Christ? who needs to get behind him because he's in the way. What was it? He says it here. 
He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So he goes then from faith, loyalty, and power to doubt, betrayal, and the flesh. Remember I told you that unless you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you cannot please God. And you can't make God do anything. You can't in your flesh do anything. You know, a lot of the times we want to think that our way is the better way. But Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. You know, even in prayer, which I think my wife was concerned about the prayer. She says, can you, can you go to God? Can you go a certain direction and pray and change God if it wasn't going to go in that direction? I'm sorry, you can't. If God has something set up the way that it needs to go, it's going to go that way. Now, does God hear prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does God work within your prayers? And does it, is, your, is your prayers effective? Absolutely. But what does God always say? What does Christ always say? If we pray according to the will of God, you see, even our prayers must line up with who God is. You see how absolutely, magnificently sovereign he is? Our prayers must, even our prayers line up with the Lord. You see, the Lord hears the cries of his people. And as we pray in, in the spirit and as we seek God and as God works in our lives and places on our hearts the things that we are to pray, we, we agree with him in prayer and we see those things come to fruition. And God is a good God who answers prayer. And your prayers are a part of your power. You've got the word of God and you've got prayer and you've got children. Those are the weapons that you have. Those are the weapons that you have. Use them wisely. We see here that as soon as, as Peter's called the rock, the foundational piece, we do the same. We walk. God's given us faith. But as soon as Christ presents a reality that does not suit what we think it should be, we fall apart. Why? You are a hindrance to me for... That word, that three-letter word, for, is huge in understanding why Peter fell. Why do you fall? Why do I fall? Why do we not obey the Scriptures? Why do we not obey the voice of God? Why is it? If we can, if we can pinpoint what the problem is, maybe we can seek the Lord for a solution to this problem. So let's pinpoint it. Yeah, pay attention. It says, you are a hindrance to me for, circle that word, for. That can be said also because. You are a hindrance to me because or for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, there is a section in Scripture that is one of my absolute favorites, and it addresses this specifically. And I want you to go there with me, or it'll be on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, I think. Pop it up there. Romans chapter 8, verses 5, well, you, well, five through 8, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Now, 
Read with me. For those who live according to the flesh. Now, this is absolutely straight addressing what happened to Peter. Now, this is Paul teaching, and Paul really likes to, uh, you know, correct Peter. So this is Paul teaching us what happened to Peter. It doesn't explicitly say this, but this is what the teaching is talking about. Listen to this. For those who live according to the flesh. Now, let's, let's stop right there for just a second. I want you to understand something. I'm not talking about hypothetical situations. I'm not talking about metaphorical truths or some philosophical thing way out there. What I want to talk to you about right now, let me just come down here so I can say, I'm talking to you, okay, and to you, and to you, and I better back up. The Lord's like, get back up here, boy. I'm talking to you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and, and me, okay? This is talking about how we live our lives. Every minute of every day, every little decision that you make, every right turn that you make, and every left turn that you make. Every word you say to your children, every word that you say to your husband or wife, how you live out your life, minute by minute, day by day. How many of you live life minute by minute and day by day? <laughs> Come on, all of, I mean, are y'all dead? We all live life, okay? So this is very practical. I want to talk to you right here about how not to fall, okay? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. If you are living for the things of this world, if they are your greatest desires, if you have to have them, then you will set your mind on those things. That's, that's very simple. If your main objective in life is to have a nicer car or a nicer house or that job or a certain look or whatever it is, anything in this world. Now, things of the world aren't bad. I mean, not in and of themselves, not necessarily. Some people with a lot of money, they're very generous and God uses them. Some people with a lot of money are very greedy and God, you know, is going to kill them one day, you know. <laughs> that was a joke. I mean, good Lord. Well, I guess he will if they don't know him. But anyway, anyway, well, that was a squirrel. So, but the things of the world aren't necessarily bad. It's what we do with them. So if we are so concerned with the things of the world more than anything else, more than God, then we'll continually think about them, right? If we're really, really, really worried about our work, and I have been, I want to tell you on this stuff, I'm guilty. I don't sit up here and preach self-righteously, okay? I own a business, and sometimes I'm just so overwhelmed worrying about my business that it's all I think about. And, you know, I realize after maybe a whole day, maybe two days, that I've not even given God a second thought because I've been so wrapped up in the inner workings and problems within my business. Is that okay? No. As a matter of fact, it's pointing out that I love my business too much. I love the money or the, the, the security or the whatever because I'm thinking about it way more than I think about it. It'd be like this. What if, what if I found out that my wife spent three-quarters of the day thinking about another man? I'm finding another man, and I'm going to rough him up, <laughs> Right? I've not always been a preacher. <laughs> Take a step back. Huh? Hey, you know, I won't even say it because there's kids in here, but you know what God calls people that think about other things more than Him and love other things more than Him? He calls them a very dirty word that means that they cheat on Him all the time. 
I'll let you figure out what that word is. Go read the book of Ezekiel if you'd like to hear the word because it says it many, many times. You're a cheater. You love other things more. I wouldn't be okay, and I know she wouldn't be okay if I was thinking about another woman. I mean, I wouldn't even be here next week. Right? <laughs> we know this, man, you know? We know this. I mean, she is, I love you so much. <laughs> I would never think about another woman even for a second. You hear me? <laughs> never! <laughs> it goes on. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, let me tell you, this isn't easy to do, but it's not, but it's, but it's, it's, it's harder than hard. As a matter of fact, it's impossible outside of God. <clears throat> a little, little snippet. When I, when I, when the Lord changed my life, okay? Now, you might say, I've come to know God. Galatians 4, 9 says that, but you have come to know God rather, you have come to be known by God. So, however you want to say it, when the Lord changed my life, okay, and he saved me from all of that wickedness that was in my life, and I was a very, very, as passionate as I am about the Lord, I was passionate about the partying type lifestyle, dragging people down left and right. I still weep sometimes because some of those young men that I pulled into that lifestyle, they're swallowed up by darkness, and I've tried to reach them, but that'll be a God thing. So anyway, when the Lord changed my life, and I went to school, I went to North Greenville that year. I went the same year. I mean, the Lord changed my life, and I knew, I knew I was, you know, I had to, I had to be a mouthpiece for the Lord. I couldn't do anything else. I went to school. Well, when, when I went to school, I, I knew that, that I had seen it before, but not, not as close up as I had then. When I went to school, I was a Christian studies major at North Greenville University. It was North Greenville College then. I was in school for eight years, okay? And in my, in my time at school and in my classes, and I took some pretty rough classes, I loved them because I loved the Bible. God absolutely changed my desires. And so I loved hermeneutics and systematic theology and philosophy. I loved all these things, and I was just eating it up, right? Well, I saw guys come in, and they were on fire, man. We would have conversations, and we would be sweating when we got done, and we were just sitting still. We were excited about God, fired up about God. In two months, they changed their, their major and did something else. They were going to be men of God, preachers and evangelists, women of God who were going to be missionaries and go everywhere for Jesus Christ. And then two months later, they're sports management or something. I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian and do ministry and sports management, but all I'm saying is I saw them come in on fire and just, you know what my prayer was? You know what they made my prayer? I prayed daily. You ask my wife. I prayed daily, please God, hold me. Please, God, hold me. Please, God, keep me. Please, God, help me to walk in the Spirit. Please, God, keep me true. Don't let me fall. Don't let me fall. Please, God, don't let me fall. Because I knew where I was, and I did not want to go back. I say that to say this. You cannot walk in the Spirit outside of the Spirit. It is God's work in your life that holds you on the path of righteousness. I'm not telling you to do better. I'm not telling you to... To, to straighten up your P's and Q's. I'm not telling you to come to church more. I'm not even telling you to read your Bible more. I'm not telling you to do any of that stuff. I'm All that's good. All that's wonderful. Praise God. What I'm telling you is, is that you've got to seek God. 
You've got to go after him. You've got to love him. You've got to pursue him. You've got to plead with him not to let you go because every one of you are a breath away from wicked, wicked, wicked ways. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and outside of the keeping hand of God Almighty, we're the worst of the worst. You understand that? That's why we cannot look down our nose at anyone because you're a breath away of being exactly like them. If God takes his hand off, who do you think is holding back Satan from turning you into that or that? Huh? Job had it. He had it going on. It said that he's sitting in the gates and everybody come just to listen to him talk. He had many kids. He had multiple houses. He had all types of money, all types of influence. And all it took for him to fall apart and be sitting on a pile of ashes, cutting himself with shards of pottery, wishing he was dead, was for God to say, okay. All it was was God to look at Satan and say, okay. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none good, not even one. There are none who seek after God, all like sheep have gone astray. There is nothing good in you that you could boast save the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. He is your only freedom. He is your only significance and identity in this world. He is everything. This world has nothing. Whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are the rock of my heart and my portion forever. There is none like him. There is no substitute. There is no plan B. There is no other way. Christ and Christ alone. It says, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to, now listen to this. Those of you who want to say, well, Brandon, you're making too big of a deal out of it. I can spend 90% of my time thinking about the things of the world and going after money and nice things. There's nothing wrong with nice things. And I would say, I agree. And I'll just do a little God on the side. I'll just get my fire insurance. I, I believe, I believe, but it has no presence in your life. It has no evidence. Listen to this. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. If we take the Bible literally, it would mean that if your mind is set on the flesh, it's death. What is your mind set on? The proof is in the pudding. Do you love God? Do you think about God? Do you meditate on God? Do you love God? Do you pray to Jesus? Do you get interrupted by the things of the world? Oh, that's good, you know. You're so busy concentrating on God that you miss turns. You miss exit ramps. You're so in love with Jesus that you're talking to him and you, you, you forget you're at lunch with someone. You're so in love with Christ that, that, that you forget things all the time and, and people have to say, what, are you okay? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
This is where life and peace come from. This is what carries you through. When you set your mind on Christ and you're in the Bible and you're memorizing Scripture, Psalm 1, I don't have time to, to go to it, but, but Psalm 1 says, says, Blessed is the man who does, not sit, who does not walk in the way of sinners or stand in the path of the unrighteous or sit in the seat of scoffers, for his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by living waters who bears its leaf in season who bears its fruit in season, its leaf is not withered. To meditate on the Lord and to think of the Lord and to long for the Lord, this is what sets you free. Mm. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The mind that is set on the flesh, it can't submit to God. Those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. So the last thing, if the band wants to come on up, I'm going to start winding down here. So go back to Matthew 16, if you've got your Bible. So we look at Peter. Let's, let's recap a little bit. We look at Peter. He's called the rock, okay? We see this great revelatory faith. We see this, this, this mountainous loyalty that can, that can go forward in, in, in a warrior-type army-type atmosphere and overtake the gates of hell, because it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We see the authority of God placed on him when Jesus said, I give you the keys to heaven. So we see this greatness, but then we see him fall from rock to Satan in 4.3 verses, and we see this great fall, and we know that the fall came because he was setting his mind on the things of man rather than on the things of God. And then we went to Romans chapter 8, and we looked and said, the problem is, is that if you live according to the flesh, and if you walk according to the flesh, then you'll set your mind on the things of the flesh, which is death. It only leads to death. If you're more worried about the world and your circumstances than you are God, it's going to kill you. And it's going to kill your ministry. It's going to kill your marriage. It's going to kill everything. As soon as we take our eyes off of Christ and we put them on the world, then we long for things more than we do Christ. But that's why, that's why we get wrapped up in alcohol, because we just forget who Jesus is. When you're drunk on the Holy Spirit and when you're filled full of Jesus Christ, you don't want that crap. Can I say that word in here? Is that not? Heather's like. Yeah, but it is. The Bible would say it's a heaping dunghill. One translation actually uses the word. <laughs> a big old steaming pile of mm-hmm, right? It's nothing. It's nothing. When compared to the glorious riches of Jesus Christ, this world is nothing. Nothing. As a matter of fact, I've, I've, I've struggled with pornography in my life. Yeah, I just admitted that. And every, I won't make you raise your hands. I won't embarrass you like that, okay? Because I don't want to see every man in the room's hand go up, Right? <laughs> And you, whatever. You know what? Now that I know Christ, you know how I was set free from that? You know how that was overcome in my life? It's because Jesus is here now. And not only do I not struggle with that, it's disgusting to me. God has done that. God has done that. Now do I, what happens if, if a woman walks by her, what happens if something pops up on the screen? What happens? What happens if on a TV show something happens? What, what happens? It'll be tempted for a second, but what do you do? What do you do when you face temptation? What do you do when the world comes at you? What do you do when, when you're faced with, with something that's going to turn you away from Christ? What do you do? What do you do when the world 
rises up. What do you do when Satan whispers in your ear that little soft whisper? Look, look. What do you do? What do you do with it? What do you do when the fall, when you're standing on the edge and you don't want to fall, but you don't know what to do? What do you do? You don't look at the fall. You don't look at the circumstance, but you look at Jesus Christ. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit because the things of the Spirit lead to life and peace and everything good. You want to overcome sin? Set your mind on Christ. You want to overcome pornography? You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You want to come overcome alcoholism? Alcoholism is not a disease that you cannot overcome. It is just another chain that it will be broken by the man of God, Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can hold you down. You do not have to struggle with alcoholism for forever. You do not have to struggle with lust and pornography forever. You do not have to struggle with greed and, and all this temptation. No. Jesus Christ sets us free. And if we're free in Christ, we are free indeed. Amen. We do not have to worry about this world. Set your mind on the things of God, and it will transform every aspect of your life. You want to know how to walk in the ways of God? You want to know how to walk in obedience with the Scriptures? You want to walk in the door and know that salvation just walked in? And you set your mind on the things of God because it's not you anyway, it's Him. The reason that salvation just walked in the door when you walked in is because you brought Jesus with you.
the front of this building is open for you to come and praise your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has reached down and plucked you out of the grasp of Satan and pulled you up out of the pit of hell. You see, you're a powerful man or woman of God if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And you are continually effective and powerful if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit rather than the things of the flesh. So you walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Feel free to come and repent today if you've been thinking of other things more than the Lord. If you've given this world more of your time and your desire and your passion than to the Lord, is he not worthy? Oh, he's so worthy. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh, they may fail. But God, you are the rock of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus is enough. He is enough. Come and get all you 